Hello, and welcome to But I'm a Professional. This is a podcast where we focus on being well while working well. Do you need help with your self-management or perhaps your relationship management at work? Uh, Maybe you want to communicate or facilitate or appreciate in a different way at work? Well, you've come to the right place. This is a podcast where we learn how to do all of those things. My name is Nancy Elizabeth, and I'm here to help you. Come on in. Let's get started. Yes, professional spaces, professional places, professional faces, having fun. Today, we're talking about employee engagement, work engagement, I don't know what you want to call it, engagement in general. Um, Now, I should say, while there's a clear and a useful relationship between engagement and productivity, today we're actually just sticking to engagement as it relates specifically to the experience of individuals, okay? Um, So we're not really talking about the relationship between engagement and productivity uh, as such. Okay, Uh, whether that turns into improved and increased productivity in your organization, great. But um, I'm more concerned about how we can think about engagement that makes us just, you know, better off in the workplace and and feeling less, feeling less stressed uh, in general. Okay, so... A little bit of context setting, uh, mainly to get our language right, uh, as as I always want to do at the beginning of these episodes. Let's think first from an academic perspective um, and talk a little bit about what's in the the um, existing literature around this kind of thing. Um, so, in the in the corners of psychology, organizational psychology, work engagement is it, it tends to be defined. And it tends to be measured along the lines of something like this. Uh, A positive, fulfilling, work-related state of mind. uh, A state of mind that is characterized by vigor, dedication, and absorption. Okay, so let's just do that again real, real slow. Make sure that gets in there. So we're defining, we're defining work engagement as, and we're measuring it as well, as a positive, fulfilling, work-related state of mind. That positive, fulfilling, work-related state of mind is characterized by vigor, ooh, dedication, and absorption. Okay? So that's, uh, I'm, I'm sure there might be other working definitions somewhere, but that's what we're uh, using today, yeah? Now, in keeping with the language front, um, I think also it would be important to make a quick note here on um, something called self-determination theory because I have been using that to to jump off into a lot of the points that we're talking about today and I'll, I'll get into it more later on in the episode but I think it's important to just get a, a general sense of what that theory um, what that theory argues to better understand uh, what I'm talking about, okay? So, um, yeah, self-determination theory, uh, basically it's the the theory that argues that humans have um, 
basic psychological needs in the same way that we have basic physiological needs. So if you think about, um, I'm sure you've encountered in your um, management training travels or somewhere in a workshop along the way, you've encountered um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And you know, down at the bottom rung, there's those, the basic needs of like food and shelter. And until you have those, you, you know, you can't get, you sort of can't proceed um, up the hierarchy of, of the other needs, right? So in the, it, it's, it's the same kind of idea with the self-determination theory that all humans have uh, basic psychological needs as well. Okay, so this theory argues that uh, we have three basic psychological needs, um, and those are autonomy, competence, and relatedness. Okay, so these three needs, autonomy, competence, and relatedness, are innate needs, and you know they're not learned or they're not um, acquired through you know, for example, your culture, or your socialization, anything like that. They're out there. If you are human, you have these needs. Okay. Um, and like I said, the idea is that, you know, just as you would become unwell if your physiological needs weren't met, i.e. if you were, you know, if you didn't have the right kind of food, you would, you know, suffer deficiencies and eventually become very unwell. This theory argues that the same is true, that you will become unwell if your psychological needs aren't met, okay? So if you don't feel adequate autonomy, if you don't feel adequate competence, and if you don't feel adequate relatedness as a human, then... Um, you will suffer. All right. So that's the basic, uh, the basis of that theory. Yeah. So for the, the remainder of the episode, when I talk about uh, work engagement, I want you to think of that de definition of positive, fulfilling work related state of mind characterized by vigor, dedication, and absorption. Um, and also um, the, uh, with the foundational understanding that uh, humans have uh, three basic psychological needs that need to be met in order for them to function uh, function well, okay? All right, so that's enough context setting. Let's think more specifically in the workspace, in all of the workspaces. Okay, so more specifically, let's think what uh, engagement and, and this self-determination theory that I was talking about, what it has to do with your professional self and your professional development. Well, um, I would imagine it would come as no surprise to you that, um, that engagement is, is a crucial predictor of both job performance as well as organizational performance. Um, I'm sure if I had a phone line, I could... I could queue it up and, uh, you know, we could have a call in uh, with everybody giving their examples of seeing engagement in action at work turning um, turning into positive job performance and organizational performance just as much as we could hear examples of poor engagement at work turning into to, um, poor performance and having a negative impact. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that we need to argue any further on that point because um, we all have our own anecdotal evidence um, so rather than anecdotal evidence, let's, let's talk a little bit more about research and what it says about, um, job performance and organizational performance. Um, I should say, interestingly, the, the, the research that's been around for roughly the past two decades. So I think, um, perhaps the first psychologist to, to really make a, an impact with work engagement has been, um, 
has been labeled as coining the phrase work engagement is uh, a gentleman called William Kahn. Back in 1990, can you believe it? Yes. Were we still wearing acid wash jeans back then? Were. Mm. Yes. Um, so yeah, just to touch on a couple of things that's come out of the past two decades of research uh, in this area. It, one a key thing that I think is worth uh, bearing in mind is that um, engagement is not a steady experience. Uh, there's a lot of flux in it, and that flux depends on on various factors, right? So, and which isn't to say that's hypersensitive. I think more um, more in the same way that you experience flux in your your day to day living. So sometimes you feel a bit more energetic, and sometimes you feel a bit less energetic. The same is true for uh, engagement. Okay. Um, if you're even if you're engaged overall with your your current role or your current task or the, the project that you're working on so even if you have a, a fairly high level of engagement overall you'll still experience lulls uh you'll still experience peaks within that that um overall high engagement that's what i mean okay now, one of the other reasons that I wanted to mention this is because I think that that idea of malleability is really important um, because it within it, I think there's there's a suggestion of possibility and there's a suggestion of hope, especially when engagement is low um, and we're working in um, we're working in a team or we're working in an environment where we think, oh, you know, the, the engagement is is really low and. Um, it's problematic to, to not despair and, and to find to find hope in that um, that that flux that I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, another thing that I think is worth pointing out in this uh, what's this got to do with my professional self angle is um, to to consider this from in in a professional development way from different angles. Okay. So we're. Ca- in this episode, especially uh, when we get into the B's and the do's and what do I do and all that kind of thing in the last section there, we'll be looking at both top-down approaches as, uh, as well as bottom-up approaches, okay? And the reason that I'm doing that is uh, mainly to do with the stats that I have for the listenership uh, here on the podcast. Uh, let me just give you a little bit of an idea of who is listening along with you. And I suppose bear in mind that the the platform that I use um, to to create and publish this podcast, um, it obviously it's only giving me the data that's um, you know if you're using a device that somebody else set up the the Spotify or whatever, um, then it's it's giving me their data right, so their age, their gender, um, and whatever whatever device uh, you're using. So it, there is a possibility that it's not 100% accurate, and I appreciate that, but it's all I have to go on, so there you have it. So just to give you a bit of a sense, uh, 47% of the listeners are listening on Spotify, 22% are listening on Apple Podcasts, and 18% are tuning in via a web browser, and then 13% are other, okay? Um, so like I said, it's, it's very general and I can't get much from that. But then we get into the, um, the stats that I have on age. And so there's a real breakdown. So the categories that, um, that exist 
are 0 to 17, 18 to 22 years, 23 to 27 years, 28 to 34 years, 35 to 44 years, 45 to 59 years, and then 60 plus. So those are all the different categories. So it's interesting to me that 34% of the listeners are between the ages of 45 and 59, which would suggest a certain, you know, you got a certain place in your career, right? Um, and likely you have uh, at least some direct reports if, if you're not, you know, managing much more, managing entire organizations or a couple of teams. But then, you know, spread across um, 23, like the, the three categories uh, that include 23 up until age 44, you know, that's a huge spread as well. And, and that's um, representative of a massive range in, in career experience, right? And likely where you are, okay? So the 24% of listeners who are between the ages of 23 and 27, um, I have to think about what kind of work likely you're doing and you know what it is that you need to, to hear, what kind of advice you're seeking by listening to a podcast like this and all that kind of thing, okay? So I suppose that is a very long way of saying um, when I think about how I shape each episode, I try to think about a bit more of a variety, um, unless it specifically says in the title something to do with leadership. I try to think a bit more about like, okay, if you are in that 23 to 27 year old range, what is it that you need to, to help you in this particular area? Or if you're in that, that 45 to 59 year old range, what are you after? What are you looking for um, in, a, in a podcast episode? Okay. So yeah, that's just a bit of um bit of insight into the the planning that goes on here at But I'm a Professional inside the brain of one young Nancy Elizabeth. Right. I think that's enough stats for today uh for you lovely listeners. Um so yeah, let's, I mean, we're, there's not much more to say uh, as, you know, how this, re, um, how this pertains to your professional self. I think it's fairly obvious. I just do want you to bear in mind that whatever, wherever you are in the hierarchy of your organization, um, there are opportunities for you to either do a top-down approach to improved engagement or a bottom-up approach to improved engagement. Um, and also, likely for a lot of you, you can do both, okay? Um, because each one has value, each one has benefit, but really it's, it's the, the bit in the middle that, um, that we're aiming for here. If you want to see yourself um, and others doing the best that they can um, in the professional spaces that we occupy. Yeah. Right, let's get into the do's. Okay, what do I do? Excellent question. So glad you asked. Uh, I think perhaps let's start with the leadership role um, and then we'll talk about the do's of non-leadership positions. But remember, remembering what I said about um, you can probably find uh, things that you can do in both. Um, 
Do you have your colored pens ready? Are you ready to draw your mind maps, your listicles, uh, and any other graphic organizer that will help you? Yes? Great. Let's get started. Uh, leadership role. What is the first thing that you should do in order to improve engagement? Well, I think the first thing we always need to aim for uh, is to be the example, okay? Um, and to remember that you can't get anybody else right if you're not right yourself, yeah? Um, I think maybe too, especially in leadership positions, sometimes we forget that there are different types of leadership styles. It's not that we forget, that's not the right word. It's just, you know, in the in the day-to-day -day business of, I don't know, fighting the fires that you fight, it doesn't always occur to us that there are different types of leadership or different styles of leadership available to you. And that depending on context, depending on your organization, depending on your work, um, you know, some styles will be better, will be more applicable than others. Okay. So I think, yeah, the, the first, the first thing to consider as a leader around engagement is, um, you know, what are, what are you doing yourself? How are you setting the example? Get yourself right. But then also as a sort of a, a sub subtitle to that, considering what kind of leadership you're using, uh, leadership style you're, you're implementing. Um, I think for, for something like engagement, and of course this is gonna come down to the context that you're working in, but something like transformational leadership is usually really effective. Um, for those of you in the cheap seats, uh, transformational leadership is, um, I mean, it's, it's a style that focuses on, uh, what are the components? Individual consideration, inspirational motivation, and intellectual stimulation. So those are your, your leader behaviors, uh, in transformational leadership style. Um, and the idea is that those leader behaviors will transform the standards and values of employees. Um, and it will also persuade them to achieve organizational goals and to go beyond their individual interests, okay? Um, if this sounds like something that you could do with uh, your team or in your position, then I highly recommend you do a quick uh, fierce Google on transformational leadership and uh, yeah, see, what, see if that's something that would work for for your situation, okay? I mean, I would say this is probably better for um, for people who are managing sort of at a higher level, like you, you're, you're managing managers, you know what I mean? You're not, you don't have like a, I don't know, a command of 150 people or something like this. Um, that would not work. So yeah, consider uh, yourself and get yourself right and also consider your leadership style. Oh, also, if you're not, if you haven't particularly developed leadership style, then, you know, maybe start thinking about which one best applies and learn, uh, learn about uh, a few options, okay? All right, the next thing that you can do in a leadership position is to identify what's missing in your team, okay? Um, so the things, the three uh, basic psychological needs that I talked about off the top of the episode, the autonomy, uh, competence, and relatedness. Um, which, which ones do you see missing in your, in your team? Okay. Um, and then, you know, follow up, how can you participate in shaping, uh, 
these, you know, meeting these basic psychological needs. Okay. Because once they, once you, once you get closer to meeting them or, or your team gets closer to meeting them, then you are in a much better position to achieve, um, organizational performance goals. Yeah. Um, this often looks like, you know, managing people in a specific way or coaching people, um, understanding what they're missing, having those conversations, uh, not necessarily dictating to them what they're missing, um, but, you know, uh, having conversations with them around how they feel about their autonomy and their, their choice uh, at work, how they feel about their competence, their mastery, some kind of, of skill at work, um, and how they feel about relatedness, their, their connection to others, particularly connectedness to uh, others on the team, right? Um, I think as well, back to the managing managers, uh, you know, that this, this requires training, uh, appropriate training for them too, to make sure that it's not just you doing, um, all of this good work that it, uh, you know, it happens with your managers and then that impact, that positive impact, um, sort of cascades down. So a bit of training, I would argue, uh, would go a long way with helping managers learn how to shape uh, autonomy, competence, and relatedness uh, with their direct reports, okay? So yes, uh, identify what's missing. And then after that, I think a bit of reflection as well to identify misses from the past, right? Swinging a miss in the past so that you don't repeat that in the future. Um, particularly if you have ones that are glaring to the team or the organization, and for some reason they haven't been identified. Um, I mean, hopefully if there's been, if there has been a, a real swing and a miss in the past, you've at least stopped it. Um, but I think a lot of the time we sort of forget to identify that to the rest of the people that we are leading and explain what happened. Uh, we just sort of recognize, ooh, that's not working, and we pivot and do something else uh, and then keep moving forward. But, you know, taking taking the steps that identify and explain and um, let everybody know that you see that too, I think that's really important. Okay. Um I remember one oh, story time. I really need a I need a bell for story time. Let me think on something. Once upon a time in a land far away, um, the organization that I was with decided that they were going to implement a financial incentive plan. And so what this wound up looking like uh, was that if you had more uh, customers stroke students in your uh, classes then you would be uh, you'd get a bonus which did not go as well as they had hoped uh, the senior leader leadership um, basically it just made everybody really really upset stroke hurt um, stroke fearful because, you know, a lot of the time attendance wasn't around whether or not you were effective or engaging as a, as an educator. It was around the money that people had to spend on learning that month or the time that they had to give to it. Right. 
bear in mind this wasn't children this was this these were adult learners and yeah i mean there were so many factors other than what we were actually doing in our job that just determined whether or not you know our numbers went up or down um so it was it's just it felt really unfair from our perspective that um senior leadership was like oh we'll pay you more if you if you are more you know if you have more uh, returning customers um anyway to say it backfired is an understatement um but the important part of the story is not the the misfire the important part is that nobody ever s- explained it it just disappeared right and so i mean it was obvious that it disappeared because it was ineffective but it was you know it was i thought i thought it was a real miss um missed opportunity because to to come forward and say Do you know what we thought this would have this kind of impact and here's why we put it in place um whoops sorry that didn't exactly work out as planned uh, we understand that. We have learned the following things. Thank you very much for coming. Uh, there's cake in the kitchen. Do you know what I mean? Like there, there's much better way of, of getting through those awkward oopsie daisies. Uh, and usually they involve cake. That's my point. <laughs> usually they involve, you know, acknowledging the elephant in the room as, as painful as it may be. So I think, yeah, identifying the misses from the past and, you know, explaining them uh, is is really is really important uh, for engagement and and trust. Yes. What else? Okay. Another thing in a leadership position that I encourage you to do, in capital bold sparkly letters, facilitate. Oh. My God, would you please close the say do gap? Um, unfortunately, when we when we come across these uh, these kinds of ideas and theories, um, and you know, oh, the ladies, the latest uh, studies show us whatever it is, fill in the blank. There's there's a lot said, but you know, for some reason, there's a a you know, Grand Canyon in between the saying and the actual doing or the identifiable doing uh, in in day-to-day practice, okay? And so a huge part, a huge part of good leadership is facilitating and making sure that you close that say-do gap, yeah? Um, I mean, it's part of your job as a leader to, to to shape culture, okay? And that means, you know, Honest conversations need to be had, even if they are uncomfortable. Um, that means allowing for people to speak with you or other leaders um, in a in a safe and a psychologically safe way that where they can reflect that they don't feel they have autonomy or they don't feel they they are um, able to develop competence or they don't feel they have a relatedness. So make sure that you're you're actually allowing that to happen. You're not just saying that you're suddenly going to do this. Okay, um, that's really really important. Okay. And also while we're on it, um, in closing that say do gap, um, if you are managing managers or you're leading leaders, um, you know have have a a honest, reflective conversation about what you've done recently with regards to leadership development, 
in your organization, okay? Because the answer cannot be nothing. The answer has to be something, all right? This is not going to form out of thin air. Training needs to be uh, put in place. Um, and then, you know, the follow-up that comes out of that training, checking in on how things are going, getting feedback, um, adjusting, you know, the training for the next time around to, to fix the pain points or fill in the missing gaps and all that kind of thing. This needs to be uh, woven into your way of working. Yeah. So to summarize, for top-down approaches, leadership roles, um, the interventions we're after here to improve engagement is, first of all, be the example. Get yourself right. Uh, consider your, your uh, leadership style and perhaps work on a new one if the one that you're using is not effective in supporting uh, engagement. Number two, identify what is missing in your team. Uh, and again, this is that you're not a dictator, I hope. Uh, this is uh, uh, this relies on conversations, honest conversations with your team. Um, identify what's missing and then uh, put some in, in place to, to fill in the gaps. Um, number three, identify past mistakes um, and um, make sure you're not working to repeat them just in an updated form um, and also think about how you've identified and explained them to the rest of the team um, and finally yeah facilitate make it make it not just a thing you say make it a thing that is done stop that say do gap okay close the gap stop it from widening all right, let's move on to non-leadership roles and the types of things that you can do in order to improve engagement bottom up. Uh, I think, again, a, a good foot to always start on is self-reflection. So here that will look like basically reflecting on your engagement without judgment. Okay, so we're not looking for good bads. I did this, that was good. I did this, this other thing that was bad. Shame on me. It's more of an introspection, you know, uh, questions like what motivates you in your current role and your and what motivates you in your current organization. Um, what are things that happen that make you in uh, make you disengage? What what tangible, identifiable examples can you give that you can draw a direct connection between that thing that happened and your disengagement? All right. Um, I think sometimes too, because, you know, we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, um, the, the limitations that we come up against when we're assessing or well, not assessing, we're not assessing here, when we're reflecting um, our, on ourselves, sometimes it, it, it's a bit of why, like five whys, and then why is that, and why is why was that, you know? So, for example, if you if you are feeling disengaged when you work with um, a certain uh, certain colleagues, or if you feel disengaged with your current manager when that wasn't the case, uh, you know, last year when you had a different manager, ask yourself, okay, what is what what are the things? What does that person do? Oh, that person shows up late to every meeting. Oh, that person you know, never emails back and answers the question that I asked. Um, oh, that person is always on holiday when, you know, something crucial is happening or something critical is happening rather. Um, so 
you know, those are, are your starters, but then you think, okay, but why is that a problem? Oh, because it shows that, or it makes me feel that, da, 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 da. so, you know, dig in a little bit, um, to find out where, uh, where your disengagement is coming from. Okay. What's, what's sort of, um, feeding the, the flames. Yeah. Um, the other thing is if you are struggling with self-awareness, uh, it is a really, really important first step. And I appreciate that sometimes we just, we don't know why we're so disengaged. Um, then consider taking the UWES test. UWES stands for, how do I say that? Utrecht? It's, it's the name of the university in the Netherlands. Um, I apologize for not pronouncing it correctly. Anyway, Utrecht's work, or sorry, Utrecht work engagement scale test is what it stands for. Um, so essentially this is uh, a set of questions to, to give you a better sense of the level of vigor, dedication, and absorption that you have uh, in your work. Okay. Um, if you Google it, you can find it. Um, and so, yeah, like I said, if you're, if you're struggling with your own self-reflection, maybe reading those questions and, and reflecting on those can, can help you uh, better understand yourself. Okay. So step one, self-reflection. Um, step two, I think a, a spot of managing up wouldn't go astray. Um, I mean, not, you know, not in huge amounts, but, um, you know, having conversations where you pursue tasks and you pursue projects that you know will engage you, that you're really interested in, um, and having those conversations with your manager who, for some reason, has overlooked your unbelievable skills and talents in this area. Um, I mean, you know, reasons for pursuing these things go beyond just um, you'll be more engaged. It's it's more to do with that idea of autonomy and having a voice, right? Having a say in the shaping of your work that's hugely, hugely important for engagement, but it's also hugely important for your health, okay? Um, it's also, it's it's great too that, you know, you have the opportunity to get involved in something that you're you're going to be engaged you're going to be very engaged with and so likely you will improve performance just out of sheer engagement right because you'll have the energy and you'll have the resilience that you need in order to to push through some of the tough stuff so you know coming out of it you'll feel stronger sense of accomplishment and you'll feel your competence has grown um, but also in really little ways as well, just think more, I suppose, more individually, not organizationally. You know, it's a way to to build up examples for an interview that'll, you know, inevitably come up in the future when you're going to switch roles again or when you're going to make a make a move to a different organization. OK, so, yeah, just just considering how you can how you can pursue how you can participate in the pursuit of of tasks and projects that will that, you know, will engage you. Right. One of the final things to be aware of when you're in a non-leadership position, actually everybody needs to be aware of this if I'm honest, um, is being aware of harmful organizational culture and being aware of how you contribute to harmful organizational culture. Okay, This is such an insidious thing. It's so, it's so quiet and creeping like a, like a bad mold, you know, um, when, whenever I talk to people and I hear them talking about 
how tired and busy they are. And I, you know, I, I finished writing up that report 3 a.m. on Saturday. And I think, what, what are you, what are you doing? What is it? But, you know, I can't get, I can't really get upset with that person because it's not them. That is a failure of organizational culture. Okay. However, that being said, we all participate in it. And so a key thing here, I argue, is that be aware of how you're participating in organizational culture and to not, um, to not do things like making, making your personality tie. I'm tired and busy. That's my personality. That's who I am. Right. Um, but also not engaging in things like presenteeism. Okay. Let me just, let me just talk for a, a, a few moments on presenteeism. I, I was, I was doing some research on this the other day. Um, and it's funny that a lot of the times organizations are very, very concerned about, um, absenteeism, right. And, and how much sick leave people are taking and how much that's costing the company and all this kind of thing. And really, you know, the same, the same ought to be said for presenteeism because that will turn into sick leave that will make your employees sick. Yeah. Um, I read a, a statistic that says presenteeism accounts for between six and 10 times more lost, lost productivity than sickness absence. Okay. Um, and this idea that working hard air quotes, um, is something to be encouraged or something to be celebrated or something to be praised and, and taking time off or, or making time for rest or having boundaries around your work is something to, um, something that shows poor performance or, or, you know, low commitment to your work. It's, it's the opposite of that. Actually, it has the opposite effect. Okay. Um, let me just read a little bit from, um, some research done by the CIPD, the, Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development um, coming out of the UK. Um, so the CIPD has found that over the past decade, absenteeism has pretty much been stable, but presenteeism has tripled, okay? Tripled in the past decade. Now, why might that be? What do you think? Yes, it is. It's because we walk around with work in our hand on a small rectangular device at all times. And so those boundaries have really been blurred. And a part of you might be thinking, fantastic, my God, we must be getting so much more done. Hmm, unfortunately, no, that's not the case. Um, these are just unhealthy work practices that are going to lead to um, real physical sickness, they're going to lead to burnout, that are going to lead to disengagement, that are, you know, on and on. And it's going to, it's going to make your productivity just dive. But the other thing is too, even when, when you're engaging in presenteeism, you, you're, you're a human, you do not have the ability to just constantly produce all the time. Um, so just being there is not a, a recipe for huge increases in output. Um, it's more the case that, you know, fatigue will make you make mistakes or, uh, make you overlook things. Um, who is it that says there's some psychologist that says a stressed brain is a stupid brain, but anyway, yeah, that idea, right? You just, you can't function, uh, as your best self without rest. Okay. Um, some organizational psychologists argue that the way to manage presenteeism, um, is to 
you need to have a, a sort of health strategy. You need to have um, line, managing, line managers in particular having an important role to play in, in the shaping of organizational culture because you can do things like um, support those that you manage and encourage healthy behavior and, um, you know, keep an eye on things like peer pressure, make sure that doesn't uh, raise its ugly head. Um, so, I mean, I know we're talking about bottom-up strategies here, um, which isn't to say that it just has to be the individual. Um, but I just, I just wanted to, I just wanted to speak on presenteeism for a while because it, it just, it is such a, a creep in an organization that will, that will have a, a devastating effect on, on productivity uh, in the long run, especially when it's measured over a period of time, okay? So I, while I appreciate that sometimes we have projects that, you know, require us to show up for, um, for longer hours, um, make sure that there's the ebb and flow to that, right? So that while that, that deadline is, is coming at you um, quick and hard, you, you're putting in the extra hours, that's fine. But when that's over, you know, you need rest and then you need to get back into a, a more healthy uh, working space. Okay. Okay. So a final uh, and quick note to bear in mind for, for everybody. Um, in a, a, a recent meta-analysis that was done on work engagement interventions um, about five years ago, uh, one of the findings, one of the key findings was uh, the strength around the effect of group interventions, right? Um, and the the authors of the the um, the review, the meta analysis, um, argued that. Well, let me let me read you a few lines. This is from Knight et al., uh, which is twenty seventeen, in the Journal for Organizational Behavior. Um, so it says, quote, a possible explanation for the strength of the effect for group interventions is that they effectively influence certain work engagement antecedents, such as social support and influence in decision making. Um, an increase in these resources could boost work engagement and protect against negative outcomes such as burnout and stress, end quote. So I think that that points out a couple of key things. It, point, it, it pulls together a lot of the stuff that we've discussed in this episode today, the stuff around self-determination theory and, um, you know, uh, a leadership style of uh, how to encourage, um, how to encourage and facilitate the improvement of um, basic psychological needs in your team. Um, and, and how that, what that looks like in, in, you know, in the work culture and the organizational culture and environment, right. Um, leading to, to, you know, less burnout and less stress and those kinds of things. Um, obviously a group intervention will provide opportunities that individual interventions won't. Um, and so, you know, when I when I talk about like having a voice and being able to voice opinion and stuff like that, um, you you get to do that in a space where you are also developing relationships with the with others, and um, you're you're increasing your resources, uh, the resources of you know support and influence and things like that, which hopefully will lead to positive outcomes. And something like that is hugely, hugely effective when it comes to um, increasing engagement or improving engagement rather. And that improvement in, in engagement 
leading to improved job performance as well as organizational performance. Okay. So, you know, who knew, who could predict us humans, us social creatures would perform better and would uh, benefit more from, from a group intervention. Kel surprise now. Uh, yes. Okay. So just if we can review the, the steps that you can take in a non-leadership role uh, to improve your engagement would be to reflect on it, perhaps do the the UWES test um, to get some help with your reflection, um, to also uh, engage in a, a little bit of managing up to pursue tasks that uh, you know will engage you, um, and to be aware of how you're participating in either the, the shaping of organizational culture, whether it's negative or positive, and how you can how you, you can participate in turning that around, okay, both for yourself and others. All right, that's that's a long enough list, I would argue. I want to thank you all for tuning in this week uh, to listen to this episode on work engagement. Um, when I was prepping for this episode, I thought to myself, let's let's keep this one a tight 30, you know, short, sharp, to the point. Let's, we're doing concise this week. Um, I'm not entirely sure I have achieved that, but it is important to try, try to try, professionals. Um, if you are interested in more of my thoughts and engagement, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at But I'm a Profesh. Uh, similarly, you can find the notes for this and every other episode on my Patreon uh patreon.com slash Nancy Elizabeth. I wish you a very engaged week at work um, and look forward to seeing you back here next time. Thanks for listening. Remember that sharing is caring. Have a great week. See you next time. Goodbye.